0: Sunday school and I, I know we cover a lot of things and because we are apostolic, we talk about uh, apostolic doctrine a lot. but I thought I would dis- to, I would uh, endeavor to talk about church history maybe in a way that you've not heard it before. I actually called one of my pastor friends who I thought was most prone to have notes on this subject had taught it in a series. And uh, he said, I I started to teach a series that was going to include church history, but I never got to it. So what I would say to you, what we talk about today, if you have a question, something you'd like me to deal with over the next four or five weeks, send me an email. But the purpose is to talk about church history in relationship to scripture, not to discuss every pope and every character but discuss the doctrines and the things that came in to what became known as Christianity and to show the reason why uh, they were in error or off base. So let's pray. Father, we love you today. We thank you for your word. Pray that you'd help me to uh, communicate and to engage the hearts and the minds of each individual. We pray that you'd help us to answer questions. We pray that you'd help us to plant uh, information and understanding and to be the tool where their own personal revelation of your word would come to pass. And everybody said in Jesus' name. Amen. Church history. Acts 2 is the genesis of the New Testament church. Uh, the, gen- the genesis of the Old Testament church is found when Moses came to the burning mountain and he went up on the burning mountain and the Lord gave him tablets of stone and gave him the revelation that gave us the first five books of our Bible Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy Genesis, Ex- first four books, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, no- Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus Numbers, Deuteronomy, I have five. The first five books the Lord uh, communicated this dynamic, anointed uh, word and instruction to the Old Testament church, how they were going to worship. And the New Testament church, you still have the fire and you still have the shaking, but rather than God giving the commandments in tablets of stone, it was God's intent that he would write his commandments on the fleshly tablets of the heart. So it was no longer something that was outside of the believer, but it was something that was on the inside of the believer. But all of this is rooted in the word of God. And so uh, the church, the disciples, the teaching, the absolutes of the intent and work of Jesus Christ is our best. And I would say our only template in God to be, true, to be a true and authentic church that is teaching the true and authentic doctrine. Uh, How did the first believers get saved? Seek to be saved the same way. How did the first believers experience salvation? Seek to experience salvation in the same way. What were their priorities that were taught to those in the first church? Seek those same priorities, lifestyle, attitude, values, concepts. Those given to us in the scripture is the pattern. I was discussing just on yesterday a particular issue that may be controversial. And they made the statement, said, well, our elders did it this way. And I said, it doesn't matter what our elders did, if they did it in contradiction to what the Scripture says, Scripture always trumps what anybody else says because elders don't mean just because I you are old or I may get old and others have been old just because they did it one way doesn't mean it's the right way I mean there are a lot of things that uh, there were elders that handled snakes Uh, I don't think that's what we need to follow right Uh, there were elders that preached against uh, fresh air almost Just because someone preached something, if it's not rooted in the scripture, it doesn't matter how holy or how wonderful or how respectable an individual may be, their word and their teaching does not uh, circumvent what the scripture says. So there's something the scripture doesn't speak to specifically, the Bible doesn't say, uh, doesn't tell us how to have social media. There was no social media. The the Bible doesn't tell us how to deal with technology. There was, in relationship to today, there wasn't any technology. But there are principles in the scripture that applies to all of the issues of our life. If you're hungry and you're searching and you're seeking between the counsel of the word of God and the counsel of godly people, we can find a principle that applies to every issue of our life. And so when we think about church history and specifically in context of ourselves, we are in the church. How many of you want to be in the church? The true church. You want to believe and live the true doctrine. You must not, we must not base that on what our denomination teaches. Because even our denomination has changed on some things that they teach. Right? Right? And so, just because of denomination, right now, there are denominations, just this past month, there was uh, the largest Presbyterian denomination voted, and they ordained to be a bishop, someone that's called a non-binary gender person. I mean, we've left homosexuality and moved into a whole nother level of diversion, and, and how did that happen? Because their denomination said it's all right. And once the denomination gave a green light, it, it has become pervasive. Uh, if we look at, at, at the concept of, of doctrine, a lot of people identify Pentecostals as pe- people whose ladies have long hair and wear dresses. But I tell them if I'm given an opportunity, that's not Pentecostal all the denominations used to teach modesty and gender distinction. You rewind the clock 50 years ago, 50 years ago, if you would have went to a Baptist convention, a Presbyterian convention, a Methodist convention, you would have found women who looked like women, dressed like women, and acted like women. And so the why Pentecostals are still defined by these concepts of modesty And gender distinction is we are still teaching what everybody used to teach. Everybody used to teach the concepts of modesty. But today, you could go in probably seven of the ten churches nearest here, and you you would quickly become aware of the fact people are totally unaware of biblical ideas of modesty and gender distinction. Because it's not been taught. Even if it's in the Bible, Paul takes a whole chapter to talk about headship and authority and, and men and women and, and, and things that are particular to their gender. And, and there are people that don't even know that's in the Bible. They don't know the Bible says it's a shame for a man to have long hair. And they surely don't know that it's, the Bible says that a woman's hair is her glory. They, what? What, what? Where's that? They had never heard that in their whole life. And, if, and they see us as apostolics and they say, that's weird. Well, what they view as weird used to be common to all of Christianity. And so what many people define us used to be their definition. What happened? Their denomination changed what they taught. And that, that change in the doctrine of the denomination changed what was taught in the churches. And today, believers... No longer even have a memory of what that is. I had someone recently wanted to have uh, dancing at the church, and and uh, they 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 didn't know people didn't dance in the church because why they they all go they're all regular church going people, but their churches used to wouldn't dance in the church. But it had happened been so long that they didn't they thought it was odd that someone wouldn't dance in the church. How'd that happen? Because people are following the decisions of a particular denomination or group of people. And so when we talk about church history, we have to recognize that the reason why sometimes we seem to be an anomaly and maybe even countercultural to the Christian culture around us, why are we different? Why are they different? Why is there such diversity And so the purpose of me uh, exploring the concept of church history is we have to understand what is our foundation. Ephesians chapter 2 is a fundamental concept and approach to what we are, who we are, and why we seek to be as we are. Ephesians 2 and 19, Brother Nate, would you read that for me? Now, I want you to see that. And are built upon the foundation of the... Very good. Keep reading. Very good. And so, the church... Is built upon a foundation of the apostles and the prophets. Say that with the apostles and the prophets. What does that mean? That means that the church is built upon the, the apostles is first priority. It doesn't diminish the importance of the prophets, but the first priority is the apostles because we're a New Testament church. And in addition to the apostles, we are built upon the prophets. That's the Old Testament. And so the church is built upon the apostles and the prophets. Jesus Christ is the chief cornerstone. It doesn't say we're built upon the foundation of the early Pentecostals. It doesn't say we're built upon the foundation of the reformers. We're not built upon the foundation of the popes. We're built upon the foundation of the word of God, the apostles and the prophets. Jesus Christ, the chief cornerstone. And so when we look at church history, you see a divergent, a proliferation of, of ideas and teachings that don't originate in Scripture. In fact, if you find it mentioned in Scripture, they are being condemned. They are being fought against. Jesus warned there'd be false prophets and false teachers and false Christ. But it's important for us to recognize that there is a... there when you hit reset... Uh, every individual. I don't know how long. Let's just see. Anybody here had the Holy Ghost for fifty years? Fifty years. There's fifty years. Forty years. Anybody? Forty years. Or the bobbies, forty years. I, I got the Holy Ghost when I was six, and I'm forty. Oh man, I, me too. I've had it for 40 years. How about 20 years? There we go. 10 years? If start doing math here, there we go. So, so no matter how long we've had the Holy Ghost, there are times where we have to like shake ourselves and say, "Hey, I'm off base." And and it's still true. When when your phone or your computer isn't working right, what's the first thing you do to try to get straight? You reboot. And if that don't work, you go back to default settings. Wipe it and set to default, right? So when we go back to the beginning line, we're not setting our beginning and going back to the 50s or the 40s or the teens. When, From a doctrinal point of view, when we hit reset, this is the default settings. The Word of God is our God. And so when we look at the previous system, the Old Testament system that God introduced to those believers through Moses, he set up a system of approach. Sin. Anybody ever sinned? We're not having confession what it was, but anybody still struggle sometimes with not being perfect? Anybody here? We, we are all, all born in sin and shape and iniquity. If any man say he hath no sin, he is a liar and the truth is not in him. We all are still dealing with the gravity of depravity that we were born with. Even after you've been born again, even after you've been baptized, even after you've repented. Not necessarily in that order. Repented, baptized, and got the Holy Ghost. uh, We still deal with the gravity of of our situation. And so we have to constantly be in the pursuit of of trying to please God, to to have our heart right, Lord, cleanse me, forgive me. And, And prior to this reality was the Old Testament. Everybody say Old Testament. God wanted to create a way that He could fellowship with His people. And the only way He could fellowship with His people is the sin issue had to be dealt with. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. When Adam and Eve disobeyed God, reasoned that God's word wasn't true, reasoned that God would not judge them, reasoned through doubt and disobeyed God. There was a breach and in the beginning the Lord had to, I believe, killed a lamb and took the skin of those that lamb or those lambs and clothed them with coats to cover their shame And, and Probably, I believe it's proper to say, dealt with their sin as much as a lamb could. And from that day to just a little bit later, Abel offers an acceptable sacrifice and gives God the firstlings and the fat of his flock. And you see this foreshadowing, you see uh, 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 Isaac being offered as a sacrifice. There, instead of Isaac, there was the substitute of an animal. Rather than Isaac dying, there was an animal, there was a a substitutionary system. I don't die for my sins, something dies in my place. And if you were to try to figure out how many animal sacrifices were offered in the Old Testament for the sins of the people every year at Passover there had to be a lamb that was offered for the family every family every year there was a sacrifice made for sin of atonement there were sacrifices daily daily 365 days daily there was the shedding of blood but the Bible tells us it was impossible that the shedding of blood would Forgive us ultimately of our sins. But until Jesus came, this was the system the Lord instituted so that He could fellowship there. He chose that rather than any man dying for their sins, He allowed there to be a substitute that a sheep, a lamb, a goat, a ram would be sacrificed in their stead. And so they had fellowship. There was fellowship with God, it was limited. It was limited. They saw the pillar of cloud. They saw the the pillar of fire. They they observed the presence of God. But there was no lasting presence. Once a year, the high priest was able to be in the Holy of Holies and see the glory of glories and, and understand that God had rolled the sins ahead one more year. That was once a year for one man of the whole nation. But Jesus... Jesus, the beautiful thing about Jesus is the coming of Jesus did away with all of the ceremonial law. There was no more need for the sacrifice of a lamb and go. Back then, if you were coming to church or the temple, you had to bring a sacrifice with you. You brought a, a band, band. Just imagine, Brother, brother uh, Bobby, you, you have a lamb. Hey, 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 preacher, I got my lamb. Brother Billy, hey, I got my lamb. I've got my... And and to worship, you had to have a bloody sacrifice. You had to feed that thing. You had to chase it down in the field. You think it's hard chasing down your kids. Imagine having to chase down the goat before you got to church. When Jesus came, he once and for all answered the sin question... That we might have fellowship. I have access and fellowship not by the blood of bulls and goats, but by the, the precious blood of Jesus Christ. I am able to have free access. Not just one man for the nation. Not just one man for the nation once a year. But every man, every woman, every day, any time, have access. The Bible says we can approach boldly. The throne of grace because we have a new and living way through christ we can come before the very throne of god and find help in our time of need Can somebody say amen and so church history the transition from an old testament system to a new testament system jesus is there in the middle and the gospels we read matthew mark and luke and john those really happened in the old testament the the, the sacrificial system was still going when jesus came Jesus was there in the temple while they were uh, having sacrifice. Jesus was there in the temple when there was still the need for a high priest. But when Jesus did what only Jesus could do, it was that moment when there was no more need for sacrifice. And God gave us access to a new dimension of the kingdom. A new dimension of fellowship. A person that... It doesn't matter what their lineage is. It doesn't matter what their race is. It doesn't matter what their language is. It doesn't matter their uh, economic status. Everyone, anyone has access and can experience the glorious kingdom of God through being born again of the water and the spirit. Amen. So. Uh, the foundational understanding, the thing that separated the Jews from the, all the other heathen religions was a concept that there's only one God. Hero Israel. Deuteronomy 6 and 4. It's in your notes. Deuteronomy 6 and 4. Hero Israel. The Lord our God is one Lord. I'm going to read it. I've got it in my notes here somewhere. Somebody want to read it for me if you see it in my notes? There it is. Go ahead and read it. Hear O Israel the Lord our God is one Lord. Can we say that together? Hear O Israel the Lord our God is one Lord. It's the Shema. People people uh, uh, put it in a box and they put it on their head when they pray. Jews do. They wrap it around their arms and they attach it to their 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 hands. They put it on the door of their house. Little boxes with this scripture. Printed on it, wrapped up, put in the box. They nail it to their door. They nail it to their gates. It is, it is the very definition of being a covenant Jew. Is that there is one God, an absolute monotheistic one God. No division. No 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 distinction. One God. That is who they are. And in the New Testament, in the same way, it, we are pointed back to that original foundation in John chapter 14. John chapter 14. Well, what happens in John 14? Anybody know what happens in John 14? Uh, I'm going to open my Bible. If you want to open your Bible or open up your iPad or your iPhone and we will I'll, I'll show you That the New Testament was not changing the understanding of who God is. Church history has introduced us to uh, divergent views of the nature of God, but that's not what Jesus brought. Jesus actually affirmed there's still one God. It hasn't changed. John 14, uh, Jesus says, Let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself. That where I am, there you may be also. Whither I go, you know, and the way, you know. Thomas like, uh, hold up. Lord, we know not whither you go, and how can we know the way? Jesus said unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Verse 7, if ye had known me, ye should have known my father. Uh, You should have known my father also, and from henceforth ye know him and have seen him. Jesus saying, hey, you want to know who the father is? If you've seen me, you've seen the father. If you've known me, you've known the father. Philip saith unto the Lord, uh, show us the father and and we'll be satisfied. It sufficeth us. Jesus saith unto him, I have I not been so long with you, and yet hast thou not known me, Philip? He that hath seen me hath seen the Father, and how sayest then, show us the Father. So this is something, when we talk about church history, we have to start at a beginning understanding. The beginning understanding is Jesus is the visible of the invisible. The God of heaven that created heaven and earth is a spirit. No man had ever seen God at any time until Jesus was manifested. God chose to come down from heaven, from his throne, and manifest himself in flesh that we may be able to approach, that we may be saved, that we may know the truth, the way, and the light. And that is through Jesus. Ephesians 4 and 5, one Lord It hadn't changed. There's not two lords, there's not three lords. How many lords are there? There's one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is above all, through all, and in you all. Everybody say one. The scripture makes it plain in relationship to who Jesus is that we should believe. And so where did church history become a confused, divided, and corrupt, replete with unbiblical doctrines? Why are there so many denominations? There are actually subsets of denominations. There were the Nazarenes. Actually, the first it was the Methodists. The Methodists, uh, when I speak of first church history, originally you had one church. They were preaching the same thing. You had Peter and James and John and Philip, and Bartholomew, and ultimately you eventually had the Apostle Paul. They were teaching and preaching the doctrine. And even in that, there were contrary voices. The Apostle Paul, the last living Apostle, when through, through him Jesus wrote letters to the seven churches in the book of Revelation, he dealt with a A false doctrine that was known as the doctrine of the Nicolaitans. The doctrine of Nicholas. Nicholas was one of the seven uh, uh, Stephen. Y'all familiar with Stephen that was stoned? When they chose Stephen, there were six others and one of them was Nicholas. And Nicholas was a man who ended up teaching damnable doctrines that Jesus actually in his last letter to the churches said... uh, there's some of you that give heed to the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, that give heed to the works, of the, doc, the works of the Nicolaitans. Everybody say false teachers. And so the reason why there is so much distinction is that people have really for no fault of their own. We're born into this world and we believe what our parents teach us. If your parents teach you that, 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 that there are millions of God's, you're probably going to believe that. I mean, your mama wouldn't lie to you on purpose, would she? Of course not. That's what her mama told her. And so people are, learn their concept of the world and life. Uh, there, are, there are sweet, uh, uh, wonderful children that are taught uh, uh, Islam. And, and they're taught as little bitty children that if they can go strap a bomb on themselves and blow themselves up, and they'll go to heaven. So just because your mama teaches you don't make it right, what makes it right? It's, it's the foundation of the church. We seek not to have a religion based on what our mama said, or our daddy said, or the Pope said. But what's the Bible say? And so over the next few weeks, we're going to kind of look at some various diversions, perversions of the Word of God and, and try to show this is what was taught and this is what the Bible says. So, while we've been talking, anybody had any comments or, or questions? Observations? What is something you've heard people believe that, that, you, that, that you were surprised to hear they believe in? That they were taught from wherever they're from. Anybody? Saved by grace only. Yeah? That's right. Anybody heard that before? I think the most common way is faith alone, grace alone, Christ alone. And uh, it's said so often people believe that's in the scripture. It's not in the scripture. But many people, if you hear it all your life since you was a little baby, you'd think that's the truth. Right? And, and that's a very common in this particular geographic area. Everybody has been... In fact, if we study church history, faith alone, Catholicism is ultimately what ruled Christian thought for hundreds of years. From from the, the post-apostolic fathers, who are they? They're the disciples of the original apostles. So post-apostolic would be like... Uh, the guy that was burned at the stake Uh is a disciple of John the Apostle he's burned anyway uh, there's there's a list of, of their disciples and the things they taught and then there are generations you know people that were uh, 200 300 AD uh, you find many divergent teachings and that divergent one of the ways uh, in like 300, there was a, uh, the ruler of the Roman Empire named Constantine. And up until that time, the Christians were greatly persecuted. They were, have you heard about Christians being thrown in the lion's den? Uh, being burned alive, stoned to death. Uh, uh, they, they were sawn asunder. Uh, they, they, they were the scourge of the Roman Empire. They hated them. There's a place in Rome called the catacombs where people would hide underneath the ground where people were, were uh, being buried. Basically, the cemeteries were underground in these catacombs. And the Christians hid in the catacombs because they, they were hunted down like, a, like terrorists are hunted down here in America. They hunted Christians that way. And so there was great persecution upon them. And overnight, Constantine said that he had a vision... And in the vision, he saw the cross, and, and, and immediately, practically overnight, all of these uh, Roman gods, deities, uh, and the priests of all these false religions, it was mandated that Christianity went from being illegal to being the state religion, and you had all of these rapid conversions, if you will, from being a heathen priest to a Christian priest, to worshiping Diana and and Zeus, to worshiping Jesus. And so you had all of this foreign concepts that overnight was introduced into Christianity. And that is the beginning (laughs) of the end of the original Christian message. Uh, Everywhere the Roman church went, one of the ways that they would convert the people of the place is they would incorporate the heathen religion into Christianity. If you go to Rome, I actually have a friend of mine that was at the Vatican about two or three months ago. And in the Vatican and all the churches, you find all of these Roman gods—these hewn marble uh, 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 carvings of of Zeus and Diana. Uh, there's one that's a, uh, we're almost practically adults—a multiple-breast woman god. All the, they're they're right up in the church, in the church of the Catholicism. And someone asked. Why are these in the church? And people are praying. A lot of the Roman gods, they changed the the names on them. Uh, uh, You know, Zeus, I don't know really, I don't know the, the, but Zeus became the Apostle Peter. They, They literally renamed Roman gods and they quit praying to this name tag over this god and they put it with a saint. And so people started praying to Saints. Roman gods, overnight, and so you had this rapid uh, assimilation of non-Christian concepts that that just uh, just took over the church. The concept of a pope, when that was introduced into Catholicism, they taught, they are taught that that you have the Bible. But what's more important than the Bible is the church. The church is like, you know, God's uh, being in the... And so whatever the church decides, and whatever the Pope says, the Pope, what the Pope says is as inspired as what Peter said. In fact, they say that the Pope is Jesus Christ in the earth today. How'd that happen? (sighs) Because they got away from the book and it reached a point that Catholicism... The whole religion was conducted in a language people didn't understand. People in general couldn't read. But uh, Catholicism was, was uh, conducted in the Latin language that is, is and has been a dead language for, for centuries. And so a priest will get up and preach in Latin, read in Latin, and the congregation doesn't understand a word he's saying. Wow. Is that crazy? And so the Catholic Church killed people, uh, uh, martyred people by the hundreds because they sought to, to translate the Scripture into a language other people could understand. Why would they not want people to read the Bible? Because the people reading in the Bible, they would read in 1400 that everything they'd been taught as a quote-unquote Christian wasn't just not in the Bible, the Bible specifically forbid its doing. Paul said, don't have anything to do with people that say that forbid in marriage. And what are the Catholics known famous for? Their priesthood cannot get married. You have nuns that get married, never get, never get married. But the Bible says, don't do anything with someone that does that. How could that happen? Because people got away from Scripture and assimilated everything. Now, I, I, I do believe there are things that at one time meant something. And its symbology doesn't really mean that to me anymore. For instance, uh, come Easter time, people dress up in, in uh, um, bunny rabbit suits and give away Easter eggs. I don't believe when people do that, they are worshiping the god of fertility. They're eating eggs, and the kids are seeing a, a somebody dressed up in a bunny rabbit suit. But the origin of that is paganism, flat out paganism. Now we don't get up and you know I, I like I really like chocolate eggs and really like chocolate rabbits, but there is zero faith. And zero worship, and I put zero credit in an Easter bunny or a chocolate chocolate egg. Y'all get that? Right? And if anybody ever thought that, well, I just want you to know, the Easter bunny doesn't have anything to do with, with the resurrection. It's purely just like a, a Buzz Lightyear. I don't, res, you know, Buzz starts giving out eggs, I'm going to eat his eggs too. Right? Chocolate eggs. Hallelujah. There are many things that if you understand, that stuff was introduced into Christianity and it still had the same meaning. Paganism was, they were still practicing paganism, but they just changed the labels. You, you go to uh, uh, different countries and, and they practice voodoo. And they practice various sanitarianism, I believe is a word, where, where they basically are involved. You, you look at what happens in Mardi Gras down in New Orleans. That is a Catholic uh, uh, celebration. And if you're a Catholic, you're going to get Lent and what's Fat Tuesday, is that what it's called? I, 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 but you, you understand the, the root of that, is a lot of that stuff was literally just assimilated into Christianity. And so there's a lot of stuff that happens throughout church history, and the reason why we have so many divergent views from what we teach and believe and what other people teach and believe, and people don't know where all that stuff come from. And so it will be my effort to try to demonstrate that in the context of church history, this is why we preach what we preach, we believe what we believe, and we endeavor to follow the scripture. Pentecostalism, no doubt, is a denomination. But my... uh, My allegiance is not to any particular denomination. If our denomination gets up and votes that... uh, you can marry whoever you want to, kiss whoever you want to. I may still be Pentecostal, but I'm not gonna I'm not gonna be I'm not gonna be part of that denomination that that passes such a thing. Right? Because the Word of God is our guide. And 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 when we consider where we are, it's important to understand where we've come from and to understand there's doctrines being promoted through social media today that you see their roots. Even in the New Testament, they were having the same errors as there are today. And that's amazing. I mean, I see people, used to be apostolic people, telling people are being persuaded that they need to worship on Saturday. Like, have you not read your Bible? You know, I may deal with this more in another service. But I see it, and people like, you know, if you don't know why we don't keep the Sabbath, it's not something we deal with a lot. How many ever heard somebody teach a lesson on why we don't keep the Sabbath? Anybody? You have? Well, you, you've been around a minute. Well, let me tell you the reason why we don't keep the Sabbath. Because Jesus is the Sabbath. When Jesus came, the Old Testament, its observance of all the Ten Commandments, the commandment of the Sabbath is the only commandment that was not uh, affirmed by Jesus. Jesus was constantly being criticized for what he did on the Sabbath. And if you read the epistles, there's only one time the Sabbath is mentioned in the writings of the apostles to the church. And the only time it's mentioned, Paul says, Don't let anyone judge you on the keeping of holy days and the Sabbath. What's that mean? It wasn't no longer part of our Christian experience. If the Word of God said we needed to keep the Sabbath, I would be trying to keep the Sabbath. But that's not... Another thing that Jesus did, because of Jesus and the way he changed things used to, if a man was not circumcised, he was cut off from his people. You couldn't be saved without being circumcised. That's not a part of New Testament belief anymore. You know what the equivalent of Old Testament circumcision is in the New Testament? You know how you know you've been baptized and in covenant with God now? is when you get baptized. Baptism is the New Testament equivalent of Old Testament circumcision. Somebody say, do you need to get baptized? Absolutely. Because you want to be in covenant with the Lord. Amen. Anybody else have a, anything you've heard where people, you've heard people believe or Tell you you need to believe. Go ahead, Sister Betty. Right. That's a, that's a great example. Sister Betty said she'd always been told by her dad that couldn't read, but somebody told him uh, the doctrine of once saved, always saved. And that doctrine is a product of what well, we'll talk about the Reformation. Uh, and uh, that Bible doesn't teach that. There, there is a truth in Scripture that we are we are going to be judged where we are. How a tree falls, there it shall lie. And it doesn't matter how much good you do. If you ain't doing good when you die or Jesus comes, all the good you've done. The Bible says if a, if a righteous man ceases from his righteousness and becomes wicked, all of his righteousness will be forgotten because he's become wicked. But a wicked man becomes righteous. All the wickedness that he's done has been, will be forgotten. And uh, Adam and Eve, I mean, could you get any more perfect? I mean, they didn't even know sin. And they ate an apple. And God cursed them. We're still dealing with the curse of Adam and Eve all these years. Once saved, always saved. In my opinion, there are many doctrines. There are doctrines of men. There's three kinds of doctrines. True doctrine. Doctrines of men, which is oftentimes tradition. They're not necessarily bad. It's just just contrary or uh, of no additional value to the Scripture. And doctrines of devils. And I believe any doctrine that tells you it doesn't matter what you do, God will not judge you, and God don't really mean what he says, that is a doctrine of a devil. And in my opinion, the root of once saved, always saved, it's part of a full doctrine called Calvinism, and I'm sure I'll deal with that over the next four weeks. But that that is a divergence where someone's telling other people what the Bible says, and people don't read the Bible, because they believe what somebody said to them, what the Bible says. That's, that's, that's the issue. And here's the deal. Most Pentecostals that come to church, raising the church, they believe what they believe because that's what they heard their preacher say. I do believe if you're pre- preached and taught and led in truth, if you believe the truth that is preached, you can be saved by what you're told. But that's the challenge is a lot of people, what they're hearing isn't what's in the Bible. And just because you believe a thing doesn't make it true. Or there's going to be a lot of people that blow themselves up going to heaven and getting 70 virgins. And that's not true. But people truly believe that. Belief does not, sincerity does not equal salvation. Jesus said, and I'm going to conclude with this, He that believeth on me, as the Scripture hath said, Out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. The only thing that matters isn't what I say. I've been talking for 40 minutes. But ultimately, anything I say that is in contradiction or tries to circumvent, cause you to doubt, discount, minimize the word of God in your life, please don't listen to me. The word of God is the final and last word Because the church is built upon the foundation of the the apostles and the prophets. Jesus Christ, the chief cornerstone. Amen. Lord, we thank you today. Bless it, anoint it. Give them all real good questions to ask me and and help me, Lord, to have real good answers. And everybody said in Jesus' name, amen.